Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Excited to introduce to you guys Aaron and Susie Hoover, who have been uh, friends of mine. So I actually went to college with Aaron in Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, what seems like ages ago. <laughs> and uh, Aaron and his wife Susie have actually been with us before. Um, in uh, before we actually launched the church, some of you may remember that they were with us at Franksuary in a January night. And uh, so they're here today to share with us. But uh, would you guys just give them a hand, a welcome Encounter Church hand today? Thank you so much for being here. So we're going to just uh, take a little bit of time. Me and Aaron are going to chat a little bit. Uh, we wanted to give you guys just a, uh, an, uh, just kind of a, an overview of what's happening. I mean, so they've been here two years ago. Um, at the time, you guys were living in Germany. Um, so why don't you tell us what's been going on, I guess, just between now or since January two years ago and, and uh, today. What, what's been happening? So about two years ago, we had already had it on our heart that we had been doing a lot of work for the past seven years inside the Middle East in an area of the world that's called the 1040 window, where the most actually unevangelized areas of the world are. And uh, we had it in our heart. We wanted to move into this area. And just through um, kind of some divine appointments and some people that we met in Germany, we found out a how actually in Athens, Greece, which is not in the 1040 window, there's a huge open door to share the gospel with refugees who are pouring out of the Middle East, pouring out of Central Asia, and, and planting themselves in Athens. So we went to visit there, and uh, after about a week in Athens, uh, we just really sensed that God was speaking to us and calling us to that area. And so it took us about a year, uh, but we officially moved there in August of this year, so not too long ago. So you guys have been in Athens for about two months now, and uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit bit about what you've been doing since you arrived, uh, and just kind of what's been happening in those two months. Well, you know, we've been surfing a lot, and uh, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, actually, you know, we... we, Is there uh, much surfing in Greece? Not not really. There's not too many waves in the Mediterranean, actually. But uh, uh, yeah, no, we... uh, just been kind of getting situated, finding a, a place to live and figuring out how it all works. And, uh, you know, it, it really is all Greek to us, so we don't understand anything. And uh, cheesy joke of the day. And uh, uh, but then after about three weeks of moving there, uh, what ended up happening was this giant uh, Syrian refugee crisis thing that we've heard about. The, the big wave of refugees just started to come. So pretty much the past two months, it's just been waking up every day and doing everything you can to serve these people. Yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's great. We've actually been talking a lot about that here. We've kind of mentioned it a little bit uh, over the last few weeks here. Um, it's been all over the news in the United States. So we're going to kind of shift gears just a little bit um, because we know that uh, there's a big debate going on in our country right now about the refugee crisis. Um, we don't so much want to talk about the debate, but we, we wanted to kind of get an idea, uh, Aaron, of what, what's it like there on the ground? So like, what are you seeing from a firsthand view and what do you see God? has been doing? Like what opportunity? I know that we've been talking the last couple of days while you've been here. What you see it more as an opportunity for the church. What yeah. is it that God is doing through this crisis that the yeah. world sees as fear? What is God doing and, and how can like how what's the church's role in that? Well, you know, I mean, actually in our generation, I would say, you know, each generation seems to have kind of uh, their big thing that they need to really see God overcome. You know, a generation before us, I would say it was probably the Iron Curtain. You know, we heard 
that generation heard tons about communism and these type of things, and it just seemed like this big thing that would never fall. And, and how are we ever going to evangelize this part of the world? And you've got books today of, of people who smuggled Bibles into the USSR and behind the Iron Curtain. And today I would really say that our big thing is actually Islam, you know, like how, how are we ever going to defeat Islam? How, how is God ever going to bring this thing down? And it just seems so big and overwhelming and everywhere we look, it just seems like, man, in some ways maybe Islam's doing better than Christianity is, you know. And, and what we really see happening right now with the refugee crisis is, is God answering prayers that people have been praying for years that, that the unreached parts of the Islamic world would actually be reached. And so what we're experiencing on a daily basis, the U.N. Uh, reported actually last week that there are now officially 9,000 people a day showing up on the beaches of Greece. Uh, and, uh, and, and these are all people who, who are completely shaking, shaken. Uh, their, their whole culture has basically turned upside down against them. Their, their government is persecuting them. They, and, and everything is rooted in Islam. And, and and these people show up, and they're in, in so much need. And what we really find out is that uh, many of them already ha- have begun to even question if there is a God. Uh, there's, there's a real shaking happening in their own faith and, and in their even understanding if, if what they believe has actually been the truth. And so we see it as an open door. And, uh, and man, it's just been amazing. We've had so many opportunities to, to share God's love with people. And, um, and, and actually, you know, because for them... Islam is, is not just a religion, but it's even a culture, you know? And, and, and so religion for them is always associated with culture. So when they think of the Western world, they just believe everyone in the Western world is a Christian. And so anything that they experience in the Western world becomes the model of Christianity that they, they begin to form a picture of. And what's been amazing is as they're coming across the Middle East and coming across Turkey and getting on the boats, it's been nothing but rejection and persecution and, and begging on the streets and, and difficult times. Um, but then as soon as they arrive on the beaches in Greece, they're welcomed with hugs. There's people wrapping warm blankets around them. There's people clothing them, feeding them, helping them through the process all the way up to wherever they want to go. And this is shaking them. You know, none of the nations around them, their brothers and sisters in Islam, would not receive them. But the infidels, they're receiving us, and they're seeing it all as the Christians are receiving us. And it's shaking their faith. We're finding now we're walking into parks to give out food because there's a lot of uh, people sleeping in parks in Athens, and um, we're giving out food to the refugees there. And we're finding that without us even sharing anything about Jesus, people are asking us, hey, can you give me an Injil? Injil is the Arabic word for New Testament. <laughs> They're saying, can you please give me the New Testament? I want to read what the Christians read. And it's, I mean, you would never find these, these questions in, in, in their land, you know, in their, in their culture. You know, it's, it's something forbidden for them to ask. And, and, uh, and so we're finding that people are open. They're, they're really wanting to know more about the faith of the West. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, something we haven't talked about, and it just occurred to me. Can you tell us a story maybe of, uh, of, of an individual or a family that you, uh, maybe you and Susie have been able to just to, to reach and sort of speak to, and, and maybe it's just a story that you just comes to mind right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit just says, this is the one I want you to talk about, just of, that would just say, you know what, like, this is a story that I think that this church could hear about what God is, like, just a, that God's doing something special. Like, is there something you could think of that maybe? Yeah, so I, I, I just thought of one actually right when you said that. So uh, it's something simple, really, but so we've had a lot of different teams come and, and be a part of this. You know, once this hit the media, 
uh, you know, a couple months ago, literally thousands of people from around the world have been writing and, and saying, we want to come, we want to send money, we want to support somehow. And, uh, and so we actually had a family from Germany, they're friends of ours, they drove all the way from Germany down to Greece, it's about a 24-hour drive or so. They brought all their kids, uh, so I mean, teenager, son, and another son who's uh, in like middle school, and then, you know, and then their small little daughter who's four or five years old, I don't know. But anyways, they came down, they came down to serve with us. And uh, at this point in time, the refugees were arriving early in the morning on the boats. They're they coming off of the, so they had been on the islands. They were taking ferries all night long that were bringing them to Athens, the mainland. And then as soon as they get to Athens, you'd see them just sprawled out everywhere in uh, city streets and, you know, big squares in the city and parks. And we walked one morning into um, into this one square, and, I mean, it just shocked us. It was 7 o'clock in the morning, and, I mean, it was several hundred people just everywhere, people sleeping on the streets. And, and, and you know, I mean, th- this is not just grown-ups. I mean, these are little babies even with their moms, you know, and they just put their baby right on the ground so it can sleep, you know, and uh, on the sidewalk. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're with this family from Germany, and it was so amazing to me to just see how you just see people in situations like this. You see where people's hearts are, and these this family just opened up and just began to share. And they, you know, they had their four-year-old daughter, so they had a stroller. We started talking with some of these uh, Syrian refugees there. And there's this one mom who had come all the way and uh, had carried on the boat. It was so full coming over from uh, the islands that they had to stand for 12 hours. And she had held her daughter like this for 12 hours in her arms. And I'm and, and just killing her arm, you know. And, and so she now had her on the ground, and she could barely even lift her anymore because her muscles were so sore. And uh, what was so amazing was to see this family, no one telling them anything. They just picked their four-year-old daughter up out of their stroller, moved her, gave the f- stroller to the lady, and said, put your daughter in that. And just like that, I mean, that act of generosity, it just, this lady started crying. They gave her the Bible to share the gospel with her. And these are the simple acts of love that are just rocking the lives of these people. And, and it's unlike anything they've experienced in their culture. Yeah, so the last couple of days we've been talking about, you know, that, that concept you kind of led with, that, that for years I think the Christian church has been trying to figure out a way to be able to reach people in the Middle East who, who were, this picture is that they're so diehard in their faith, right? That, that, uh, and, and, then, and we know that it's somewhat hostile territory and things, so it's dangerous oftentimes for people to go to some of these Middle Eastern nations. And, and this idea that to go there... Um, and, and we've been trying to figure out how can we evangelize people in those areas, and what we're seeing is this just droves and droves of people coming to the shores of, of what we would consider to be Christian uh, Western civilization. It's an incredible opportunity. And so, so I guess the last question I would ask before we kind of uh, wrap up the interview today is, so what, what can the church do? So what is the church's role in this refugee situation and, and how, can, how can the church be involved? How can our church be involved? What can we do to support and to be a part of this thing? So, you know, actually the, the governments of, of Europe are asking these same questions. They've never experienced an influx of people like this before. And, and they're just trying to figure out the answer. And, and the funny thing is, is the Bible really says that actually it's not up to the governments to figure out things with refugees and orphans and widows. But actually this ministry is a ministry that's been laid on the church. That The church is actually supposed to take in the widow, the orphan, the refugee, the foreigner. And, uh, 
And I really believe, man, that the church could step into their authority here and, and show the love of God. And it, it, it could be something that not only impacts the refugees' lives, but even our own governments, even our own nations, you know, when they see the church in action. And so you guys have maybe heard of the love languages before. Uh, you know, the basic concept is there's five love languages and everyone speaks one. Well, Susie and I actually believe that not only do people have love languages, but even cultures have love languages. And definitely, with this culture of people coming out, a love language, something that, that, that speaks so much love to them, is quality time. When you would just sit and spend time with these people, even if you can't communicate with them, just the fact that you just pulled up a chair, <laughs> sat right next to them, just listened to them, have a tea with them, something like that, yeah, it makes, makes the picture even better, you know, when you do. And, and, and so... Typically what happens when the refugees end up finally getting to their final position, wherever they want to be, Germany, Sweden, or, you know, there's even some coming to the States. When they finally reach that, they've been in a process all the way through Europe where people have been helping them and stuff like that. But typically what happens is when they get to the place where they're supposed to be, the help stops. Everyone just kind of backs away. And usually these places that we end up putting these, these refugees are in buildings, in, in areas of the city that actually not a lot of people want to go to. And we actually kind of separate ourselves from them. We kind of let them live their life. And, you know, we're not against them, but they can stay there and we stay here. You know, we don't really want them to interact with our kids so much because, you know, we don't want their kids to influence our kids. We don't want their in culture to in, uh, influence ours. And, and we kind of, in some ways, reject them. And, and I think, man, that the message to the church and the way we reach these people is completely opposite. We have to engage them. I mean, we have to move into their neighborhood. They've moved into our neighborhood. We need to pull them into our culture. We need to pull them into our families. We need to spend quality time with them because they've already been shaken. Their faith is already being shaken, and I believe that it's just a matter of time, just a matter of time when they would spend time with us, they would give their lives to Christ, you know. The, the, the scary part about it is, and, and we really believe this, that if we actually don't do that, if we actually do continue to reject and just let them kind of be over there, actually every fear we have about these people, about them changing our culture, about Islam spreading around the nation, their kids influencing our every fear we have actually will happen if, if we fail to engage them. But we have an opportunity right now to really pull them into our culture, to really pull them into to what we're doing, you know, and into and our faith in, in Christ. So what, what can Encounter Church do? Like, how can we get involved in, uh, in, in with you guys and with, with this, this in general? I mean, with us, you guys can come. You know, come, you're welcome anytime. You can come to Greece. You can work with us. If you want to see what it's like right there on the front lines, you're welcome. Uh, but, but also, you guys are going to have uh, amazing uh, opportunities here. I, I heard something like 500 refugees are going to come to Pittsburgh or something like that. That's amazing, you know. Man, engage them, you know. Find out where they're going to be. Call your mayor. Find out where these people are going to be placed, you know. Find out what the needs are. Find out, you know, these people are going to need social workers. These people are going to need people that are going to help them go through a paper process that exists in America that they don't have the first inkling about, you know. And, and you can build relationships through people like that, uh, through ways like that. Um, you know, you can teach them English. You can do a lot of really cool things. So the church can be involved in the locations where they're living. Um, and then obviously, you know, uh, support. You know, you, every month you guys really help us out so much with financial support. And, and, and when you guys do that, it just, it blesses us so much. It really enables us to be able to do the things that we're doing. And, um, you know, out in the hallway, we have some soap. This is just one of the many things we're doing. We have uh, some micro businesses for these refugees as ways for them to make money. And uh, 
Yeah, and so we pay them all up front, and, and basically when you buy that soap, it just kind of refunds what we've already paid out. Um, and, and that soap that they've made, it's, uh, it's handmade soap. Well, so we're so excited you guys are here. I would encourage you um, after service today to please uh, say hello to Aaron and Susie and encourage them. You know, our church does support them uh, on a monthly basis, but uh, maybe while we're sitting here today, God is speaking to you and saying that, that you're just like connected to this, to what, what, what Aaron has been saying. And maybe God's saying, you know what, I would love for you personally to perhaps support them uh, out of your own budget as well. I, I don't know, but if that's the case, Please, after service, just go talk to Aaron and Susie. They'd love to be able to tell you more about what's going on. And if you want to support them on your own as well, in addition to what our church does, um, they can give you information about that. One of the most important things that we can all do is pray. Pray, pray, pray. We need to be people of prayer as Christians, right? We believe that God, uh, that God answers prayer, that, that that is the primary way that, that we go to him and, and we ask him to do things and power happens from that. So if, if, you're, if you're worried about the, the, the refugee crisis, if you're worried about the terrorist acts and all that kind of stuff, prayer is the answer, is yep. the thing that is going to solve that. So Aaron and Susie are out there, right? They're in a place that we are not right now. And, and they need prayer. So please make this uh, a part of your daily prayer life to pray for Aaron and Susie and for all the missionaries around the world who are, who are putting their lives out there so that people can know Jesus. So anything, any further things you want to say to us? Any, any final thoughts? No, I just I wanted to say that that was a good point, actually. I forgot to say that. But prayer, <laughs> prayers are... we're a team, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really amazing. Actually, we can just tell you that uh, since we've moved to Greece, I mean, a lot of things have happened that were out of our control. We, we never expected, you know, a, a refugee crisis to take place three weeks after we moved there. But, man, we can, th- these are the moments where we can really sense the prayers of the saints, the people who are praying for us. Because, like, it just, there's just a peace that comes. There's just a, a, even a wisdom of how to handle things that you've never had to handle before. And, and we know that's all rooted in the fact that there's people praying for us and, and, and God's moving, you know, he really, he, he responds to the prayers of his children, you know. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's just uh, pray right now for, for Aaron and Susie. So do you want to come up here? And we're just going to pray for you guys um, here. And that way uh, we can do that and we'll move on with the message here. Uh, but Susie, come on up and we'll pray. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. But what I would love, I, w- I would really like this. This is a, uh, just a, a symbol, right? If you guys would just, just extend your hands toward, right? The Bible talks about laying hands on, okay, of, of when you pray for people. And so you guys doing that in your chairs is just an extension of that, that, that we're unified. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this incredible couple, for Aaron and Susie. We love them as a church. We love them as people. God, we are grateful for what you are doing. Thank you that you brought them here thousands of miles from their home to visit with us and give us an insight into what you're doing around the world. God, we pray for fire and for Holy Spirit power in their lives that you would give them insight into who to talk to and, and, and how to do it. Give them strategies to be able to reach uh, the Afghan refugees and the Syrian refugees and people from all other different countries, God, who are broken and who are hurting. I pray that in addition to food and hygiene products, that God, you would find a way to, to give Aaron and Susie the ability to give them the most important thing, and that is Jesus. We pray that many lives would be saved. We pray for every resource that they need, all the financial support, all the friendships, God, the housing, everything that they need, every tool that is needed uh, for ministry, for them to be able to be effective. We pray that you would provide it and that you would show that you are the good, good Father that we know that you are. We love you and pray for a safe return home for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let's give them a hand. Thank you for joining us today.
All right, so we have just a little bit of time left, so I don't want to take up too much of the time. In fact, I feel like the, the message that God has put on my heart today is really perfect and goes in hand with us. We are beginning our Mission Possible series. Um, you know, for, for if anyone who's ever watched a spy movie, things like James Bond, or I think of Ethan from Mission Impossible, there is usually this idea of a special agent who is, uh, who is asked to, to, to put their life on the line for the world against some kind of evil plot that usually is trying to take over the world. I think of movies like Mission Impossible. I think of James Bond. And and by the way, this is the best James Bond that has ever existed, in my opinion. Some of you might like Sean Connery, but I like this one better. Uh, Superman, right? Even though it's not even in the same genre, we think of comic books uh, and like Marvel's Avengers and, and people like that, that there's this concept of that there is an evil in the world that needs stopped and someone has to rise up in order to help. And typically, the situation that the hero faces is so dire, is so difficult, that it would seem virtually impossible to succeed. Hence, the name of the movie Mission Impossible. This completely impossible scenario. And what we see in these fictional stories, oftentimes, are people who, against all odds, are willing to put their lives online to save the world. And so, here we are now moving into the holiday season. Thanksgiving is this week, so happy Thanksgiving from Encounter Church. Christmas is right around the corner, and I think that with the current events that are taking place in our world, it, some of them are very unsettling, right? Some of the things that Aaron and Susie are seeing on a daily basis, they, they're very heavy. They're weighted, that, that, and there's situations in our own lives, our country is facing, all sorts of things that oftentimes we can begin to feel as though that the world around us is not an easy place to live. And while there's not necessarily, like in the movies, we see these nefarious shadow organizations that are plotting against the world, right now, I think we too can agree that we need, we find ourselves in a place where we need a savior. We need somebody to stand up and say, we need help, that, that, that we can help us, the rest of the world. And I think, so we come to this man named Jesus. Jesus. We don't typically think of Jesus as a spy. We don't typically think of him as maybe even a hero, a superhero who came to be able to provide and save the world. But in reality, this is exactly who Jesus is. Jesus was given a nearly impossible mission from his father to come to the world and to destroy an evil that seeks to destroy every single human being on earth. I mean, that's the reality of what the Bible teaches us. God's word shows us that Jesus was given a mission. He was sent to earth to show us that we could have a better life and to save us from the evil in the world that seeks to destroy every human being. Jesus accepted his mission and against all odds provides a way for each person to find freedom and salvation from eternal death. Jesus took an impossible mission and made it possible. And so kind of continuing with this same special agent imagery, much like a special agent, Jesus was actually inserted into the world in in kind of a clandestine way. Oftentimes we see the CIA will drop in people behind the scenes, right? Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a small town where he was under the radar of the political powers of the day. He was brought up in a place where he was able to learn about his mission. He was able to understand who God made him to be as he grew up in the safety, the relative safety of a population of people that were kind of under the radar of the ruling powers. 
When he was older, Jesus actually infiltrated the ruling class of his religion. We know of the Pharisees. We know of the Sadducees. These are people who were the Jewish rulers. Jesus infiltrated into that space, went to where they were at, and undermined their religious laws and their rules and taught that there was a different way. Jesus painted a picture in our society with all his parables and the stories and the illustrations that humanity had a problem, that we are disconnected from our creator and unable to save ourselves. There we go. In reality, <laughs> sometimes the, uh, the cables do what they want to do and not what I want them to do. Yes, right. <laughs> so Jesus painted this picture in the stories that he would tell. He was always trying to, to, to paint an example of that humanity has a problem, that we are unable to help ourselves that we are disconnected from our creator and unable to save ourselves. He told us that there is an evil inside of each one of us that pushes us as individuals to act selfishly and to consume everything around us. And ultimately, that this disease would result in death separated from God who created us and who loves us so much. Jesus announced that he was the solution to that problem, that he was the cure for that disease that lives inside each one of us. In fact, the Bible puts it this way on the screen. If you have your Bibles with us, I encourage you to pull them out, or if you have a smartphone or a tablet, pull it out, open that Version Bible app, download it. It will save your life. This is what the Bible says in John 3.16, the most famous Bible verse of all time, and this is what it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So we see that Jesus' mission was to save the world and to provide a way back to the Father, to the creator of the universe. And as we read through Scripture, we ultimately find that Jesus' mission required everything of him. It required his willingness to die in our place, to build and bridge the gap that was found between us and separated us from God. In fact, in Romans 5, verse 6, and then 8 through 10, this is what it says. When we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, doesn't that sound like a Mission Impossible movie right there? While we were still helpless. I think of like those, those trailers, in a world where everything is going wrong. That's what's happening right now in this scripture verse. It says, while we were still helpless, God sent Christ. When? At just the right time. Just the right time. And died for us sinners. And then it continues in verse 8. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since that we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, and this is important, while we were still his enemies, he sent Jesus, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Praise God! 
Praise the Lord that we have a God who loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die and on the cross to pay for our sin. We were utterly helpless, the Bible says. We had no chance of finding a connection back with our creator. We had no ability to be able to live the kind of life that God wanted for us in the beginning. We had no chance. We were destined for to live an eternity separated from our creator. But he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus, God, in the flesh, on earth, to show us a better way and to pay for our sins. Praise the Lord. If there is no other reason on this world to praise God, that would be the one. Because he sent Jesus. This is the gospel message. Jesus fulfilled his mission. He succeeded and he made a way for us to find wholeness and purpose and life again through a vibrant connection with our Creator. What he accomplished for us that day on the cross and his resurrection, that's why we celebrate Easter, right? Because he rose from the dead and proved that he is powerful, that he is the one who can save us. What he accomplished resonates through all of creation. And it sets the stage for all things to be brought back to the way that they were designed to be. But now we might look at the world around us and think it doesn't seem very new, right? I mean, look at all the problems that we face in the world. A lot of the things that are going on in the Middle East or in Europe or even in America. There's, there's things in our own backyard. It doesn't seem like things are different. And we might even wonder, why is Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, why is it important? What does it matter? Well, here's the answer. The answer is found in the pattern that Jesus has left for us. And so I always have these big ideas in my message. It's kind of the whole thing that holds it together. If you're taking notes in your program, pull it out. I want you to write this down. Here's the big idea. Is that Jesus is the answer to every problem and to every question. Jesus is the answer. The singular answer. The key that unlocks every problem and every question. Now this is not a Jesus juke. This is not a, an attempt to oversimplify things. Like, you know, I can see someone in the room might say, you know, look, I've got hunger issues. I can't feed my family. Well, hey, brother, just love Jesus. Like, that's not what I'm saying, okay? But here's the issue. Here's the reality of why I can confidently tell you that Jesus is the answer to every problem and to every question. is because what God offers to us, what he offers to us through Jesus is the answer to our questions as humans. It is the cure for every root problem that we face on earth. When we align ourselves with Jesus, when we live the way that he taught, much of the New Testament is all about who Jesus was and how he lived, teaching us that that's how God intended our lives to be. And when we live the way that Jesus taught us to live, it can literally solve every problem that our world faces. Here are some examples. In the face of poverty and in the face of hunger, Jesus said, feed the poor and share your resources freely. So if we all lived the way that Jesus taught us to, hunger and poverty would no longer exist. Does that make sense? You see where we're going with this? War, violence, terrorism. Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek and to love our enemies. If we would treat people the way that Jesus asks us and taught to treat them, war would be non-existent. Violence would no longer exist. Greed. Jesus admonishes us to generosity and to putting others first. 
relationships, to all the relationship problems that we struggle with, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. So now I say again, the answer to every problem and to every question is Jesus. Because if we live the way that Jesus taught, which is really Jesus coming to earth as a big sign, a big billboard saying, this is how God created all of humanity to live in the first place. We messed it up, and he sent Jesus to say, let me show you a way, a model to teach you. If we would live this way, we can go back to the way that it was in the beginning. And we can do that through the life that Jesus has for us because he gave his life. Can you see Can you see how our world would be a different place if everyone lived the way that Jesus taught? The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is literally the attributes of God, literally mirrored in his person. That means that what we see is Jesus was God in the flesh visiting us. That's powerful. No other God in all of history has ever said that. Jesus Christ is divine. The way that Jesus taught us and lived is the design that God intended for all humanity. And that's why it's called good news, folks. The good news of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful news that, like, that our lives can be different. We don't have to live in fear. We can live the purpose-filled life that God has for us. Jesus is the answer to every problem and to every question. And as Christians, hear me on this, our number one priority is to live that good news into every situation that we find ourselves in. Have you ever heard of the word incarnation? For those of you who are maybe, maybe grew up Catholic, you've heard the word incarnate or incarnation. The idea is that God physically and literally came into the body of Jesus Christ and made him divine. Okay, so that's the idea of incarnation. The beauty of the church of Jesus Christ is that we are to be the incarnation of Jesus to our world. That the Bible tells us that when we raise our hand, when we say that prayer, when we believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, the Bible tells us that his spirit comes and lives inside of us. The spirit of Jesus Christ literally inhabits and makes his home in our hearts, in our lives. What that means is that now, as we live our lives, as I go to work, as I go to school, as I go to church, as I, as I play with my kids, as I, whatever it is that you and I do, that Jesus is there. And so yesterday, when we're in our Friendsgiving outreach, and we're serving, and we're handing turkey and mashed potatoes to people, when we're giving them warm clothing, I am reminded of the passage of, of Scripture where Jesus says, when you fed the hungry, when you clothed the naked, you did the same things to me. We are living out the hands and feet of Jesus when we serve our world. When we live the way that Jesus taught, when we see, Jesus, you are our master. I now submit myself to you. I will now live according to your design for life. We are literally bringing Jesus 2,000 years later to their doorstep. Do you see the significance of this? That is why it's good news, because we get to share the same thing that God did in our lives to people who need it the most. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. As Christians, we should bring Christ into every circumstance that we live in. So this is the question that we should ask ourselves. How can I, Jared, how can I live Jesus' teachings at this moment in this situation? That's what an incarnate life is like. When you're at work, when you're at home, when you're with your wife, with your kids, when you're driving somewhere, if you ask that question, 
How can I live Jesus' teachings in this moment? Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.